Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Christina Stathopoulos, and I will be your host today. I am dedicated to the world of data, currently an analytical lead for Waze at Google, an adjunct professor of analytics at IE Business School and ISD, and an active public speaker in the space. We are joined by Jeremy Stanley, CTO and co-founder at Anomalo. We are kicking off a three-part series with the Anomalo team, and for today's episode, we will be chatting about why data quality monitoring is essential. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you doing today? Hi, Christina. Thank you. I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Of course. We're really excited to have you on, and I'm excited to see where this conversation leads us today. So could you start by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you and your team do at Anomalo. Yeah, will do. So uh, I have been working in data my entire career for you know, on to 20 years now, uh, starting in financial services and then into technology. About eight years ago, I moved to California and joined Instacart and ran data science and machine learning there. A really fascinating company, very, very data-driven, using data to optimize how groceries are delivered and how shoppers are routed, creating a really amazing digital shopping experience for consumers. And so a a really fascinating company where data was really critical to what they did, that that company couldn't couldn't have existed, couldn't have been profitable, couldn't have grown as fast as it did if data wasn't central to their culture and their operations. And so really got to see a modern company leveraging data to its fullest. And I actually, while I was at Instacart, I met my co-founder, Elliot. Uh, He ran product and growth. And we both bonded over our shared love of data and the impact that it could have. And so when we left Instacart, we got together and uh, looked at all of our best ideas for how we could create something new as a a startup. And we knew we wanted to to use data and we realized that data quality was was this kind of missing component in the modern data stack. And I can talk talk more about that. uh, we created a company around that. We've been at it now for four years, and the company is Anomalo. Um, we're now 30 people and you're really pretty successful in the market, and you're growing rapidly, and it's, it's been a really fun ride. I can definitely relate to the Instacart story. I think data has become critical to so many businesses today. And like you said, data quality monitoring has been a missing piece for quite a while, and now it's becoming this this hot topic. People are realizing just how important it is. So let's start with the basics today. I want to start with understanding what is data quality monitoring and why is it important, especially in a market so reliant on data? Yeah, so when we think about data and data teams and organizations that are using data, we tend to think about, well, where is the data stored? Uh, where is you know how is that data accessed? Um, what decisions are being made using data, and what tooling supplies the information used to make those decisions? Or or how do you build data products? How do you build machine learning pipelines on top of the data? 
And so that's where a lot of investment has been to date, is building you know, the kind of necessary systems and processes to use data effectively. But then once you've built those things, so many issues can go wrong in data itself. Um, it can happen at the very source level where you know, maybe it's data that your organization is collecting as a part of your product operations. And it's really easy to suddenly have changes in the form of how that data is captured or when that data is captured. You know, the, the structure of the data itself can change. Or it could be data that you're getting from a third party. You know, it could be a SaaS product that you're integrated with, or it could be a third-party data provider. All of a sudden, you can have you know, changes in this data that are unexpected. And those unexpected changes will propagate through all of your data systems. And you'll end up with data that gets delayed, right? It just isn't arriving in a timely fashion. And so people are waking up in the morning and they're looking at dashboards and the dashboards are just empty. Um, and they can't make decisions using data. And so eventually they will stop making decisions using data if that's the case, if they can't get you know, reliable recent data. Or maybe even worse, they'll look at the dashboard and it has data in it, but the data is wrong, right? Something fundamental has changed that's caused double counting in a metric. Or you know, uh, all of uh, a metric is, is, is biased for a specific segment of your business, for one geography or one product type or you know, one type of event. The metric is completely misleading. And you know, that can lead to huge fire drills of time and investment spent in the wrong place or also ultimately distrust of data. And so all of these data quality issues can really affect the decisions the company makes. And then they can absolutely affect the, the data products companies build, right? The, the user experiences that are powered with data or with machine learning. Um, you can have erroneous data flowing through these complex pipelines that lead to consumers having really unpredictable or, or bad quality experiences. And so, you know, you think about uh, an organization today that's using software and uh, is competing on the quality of their code, there's all sorts of tools and best practices to monitor the code that an organization uses. But increasingly today, organizations are competing not just on, co on their code, but on, the, on their data, right? And, and yet there's no monitoring for that data. These changes can happen and oftentimes they go unnoticed. Um, or it takes really Herculean efforts uh, to try to stay ahead of them. And so data quality monitoring is, you know, how do you build a system that is going to continuously inspect the data that's arriving into data warehouses, that's being used for decisions, or that's powering machine learning models or data products? How do you continually monitor that for unexpected changes, for regressions in the data that could have a material business impact? And then how do you notify the right people about those issues? And then how do you provide context in order to ease and accelerate the resolution process so that they can be fixed quickly? Okay, so I think we can all agree that issues can appear in the data itself all along the process, upstream or, up, uh, upstream or downstream. And you're mentioning how even, even the, the smallest thing can end up propagating and and really polluting some of the, the final data products. Right. Um, and, and I've noticed how much data quality monitoring has become prevalent in conversations, especially nowadays, versus even the recent past. Much more, much more common to, to speak about this. But 
What has changed over the last five years? Why has this been brought to the limelight now? Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's maybe two different components here. One is the the move to cloud data warehouses and that that technology revolution that's happened with platforms like Snowflake and BigQuery or uh, Databricks, uh, or even before them, you know, Redshift. It's so much easier now for an organization to begin capturing and then making you know accessible to everybody in the organization every scrap of data that flows through the organization. If you go back 10 or 15 years ago, the companies that were competing aggressively on data, companies like LinkedIn, they had you know, armies of data engineers and infrastructure uh, people just to be able to work with you know, the data that they were using on systems like Hadoop. It just was a huge investment to be able to work with you know, large volumes of, of data. Whereas today, you know, uh, a 20-person startup can easily set up a modern data stack with, you know, one, one person, um, you know, getting one of these cloud data warehouses, doing, doing ETL through a SaaS service, you know, setting up a BI and analytics layer on top. It's, it's really much, much easier. Um, and, you know, big enterprises are adopting the same technology because it's, again, so easy, so scalable. And so, a part of the you know, why now is just that the technology has changed, and so the amount of data that's there and the diversity of data that's there has changed. You know, in the past, you might have had, you know, your production, uh, 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 you know, a database that was just used to store, uh, you know, financial transactional data, and you would worry deeply about data quality in that very constrained, slow-moving system. Now you have this data warehouse that has thousands of tables, right? Each table with hundreds of columns. And you've got an organization of you know, 10,000 people who are data savvy that are dependent upon the data in that. And so it's just a completely different problem um, that, that you know, requires different solutions. So a part of it is just you know, the technology has enabled this. Um, and then I think a part of it is just it's taken time for companies to get that set up and to make that movement. And so they're just now hitting the, the kind of cultural aspect of, okay, now we have all of the data, everyone can access it and we're beginning to use it. Um, so you know, now what, what's next and, and what's gonna go wrong as you do that at scale? And so they're beginning to encounter data quality issues and recognizing that the existing approaches to thinking about data quality when you had a really constrained environment, they don't scale to this new environment with cloud warehouses. So it sounds like a lot of it comes down to data democratization is what I would say, like more more accessibility for everyone, right? Yeah, it's really the product of two things. It's the amount and diversity of data being collected. Uh, so you know, the, the kind of complexity of the inputs into the system. And then you're absolutely right. The democratization is, well, how many different uses of the data are? Are there and so those two things multiply together, right? So so that multiplication effect really causes data quality issues to explode. And so as an example, if you have a huge number of people using a very simple data set, then data quality isn't going to be as big of a concern. Or if you have a tremendous amount of data but no one is using it, data quality doesn't really matter. But as soon as you have a really wide variety of data, right, which almost all organizations have now, and you democratize access which is ultimately how you achieve value with that data, then you get the product of those two things and data quality monitoring becomes critical. 
Got it. So the, the multiplication of this amount and diversity of data with the democratization of data. And then, like you mentioned, the timing that it took, it took companies time to also get all of this set up and going. But now that it's become a little bit more mature within companies, um, it was time now to get on top of their data quality and hence right. data quality monitoring. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And then if we dive deeper into this, what are typical approaches to data quality monitoring then? Yeah, broadly, we see three different approaches. And you know, I can talk you through each one. Each one has its strengths and its, and its weaknesses. And so there isn't you know, a single silver bullet. We've actually found all of these can work well together. But I'll take you through each one. So the first is what we call validation rules. And you know, this is a, a, an approach that's been in, in place for a long time in lots of different contexts. And the idea is specify some hard and fast constraint about the data. Think about it like it's a, in programming, it's a unit test for code. Here, this is a test for data where you say, you know, I want this table, this column to always have this value in this circumstance. Or you know, this column should never be null. Uh, or the relationship between these two columns, they should always sum to this third column. And so they're rules, they're hard and fast constraints that you know, every record in a table in a warehouse should meet. And validation rules are, are great. They, are, they have some, some real superpowers. Namely, they're the only approach where a user can bring their subject matter expertise about what the data ought to be. So if I understand the business really well or how the data was generated well, then I might have you know, knowledge, think about it like the physics of the system, I might have some external knowledge about exactly what I would expect to be there. And I can express that in a rule and I can test, does the data meet this rule or not? And so that's very, very powerful. The big drawback to these validation rules is that they're very hard to scale. If you have a thousand tables and each table has a hundred columns and there are a hundred different segments that matter to you, who's going to write all of the validation rules that would cover every edge case? And then even if you did write them, how on earth would you maintain them all over time as the business changes? A uh, classic example is I have some statistic I care about and so I write a validation rule that this statistic should always be within a range. But then what happens if that range varies seasonally by day of week or day of month or season of year? Or what happens if the business changes and that, that range suddenly needs to change? Who's going in and updating that all the time? You know, multiply that by thousands, tens of thousands of these rules and, it, and it's really difficult to scale. So that's, that's the co most common approach. This, the next approach is, well, let's step back. And instead of trying to enforce some exact constraint on every record, Let's instead just define metrics about the data. It could be a business metric that the company depends upon, you know, revenue growth or time to complete an event or you know, some profitability measure. Or it could be a data quality metric. For example, what, what percentage of the time is this column missing? And for these metrics, you can build time series models that will predict you know, what is the expected range of this metric on the most recent time period. And you know, is the metric value outside of that range? Do we have a, a huge sudden spike in missing values? Or did a specific segment of data you know, disappear um, if I'm monitoring that specific segment in the row count there? 
And so you can have time series models that look at these metrics and look for anomalies in the metrics. And that can be a signal that something has gone wrong with the data quality. It's you know, powerful. It's a little bit easier to set up because you don't have to specify the exact range or the exact rule. Uh, but you do still have to say what's important to you, what metrics matter. And so you can't cover all of the cases, right? You can't do all of the metrics for all of the segments for all of the columns. Again, how would you maintain that? How would you scale that? And then if you started getting notifications from that, you would drown in duplicate notifications for the same issue, right? You would have 100 metrics all affected by the same data quality issue. And how would you understand what the underlying root cause was? So we find those metrics to be helpful, but really only for the top level metrics that are most important. The third approach, and this is one that Anomalous really innovated and invented a lot in, is to do monitoring of the data directly and using machine learning, using an unsupervised machine learning algorithm. And what's happening here is we're sampling data from a table every day and then using machine learning to detect is there drift in that sample of data over time. And that drift could be, you know, all of a sudden null values have increased in a column or it could be a segment of data has disappeared or, or dropped out. It could be even the relationship between two columns has changed. And so what's really powerful about that approach is that it doesn't require you to point it at specific columns or specific you know, rules. Instead, you just point it at the table and it can begin to learn what is the expected distribution of data arriving to this table. And it can alert you when that changes in some unexpected, unfavorable way. And so, you know, in the end, what we found with uh, the Anomalo platform is we actually support all three. You can do validation rules and a UI, or you can configure them through an API. You can track, you know, any of the columns and metrics that you want to track using time series that are really important to you. And then there's this unsupervised monitoring that can just run on every table that you care about. And you get this unsupervised monitoring gives you this base layer of coverage for free. And then you can kind of come in and add the metrics or the validation rules where there's a real business need to do that. And you know, we make it easy for the subject matter experts, the people who actually care about the data that are using the data that, that you know, those democratized users that, that have dependencies upon the data to be able to come in and add those metrics and rules. Okay, so three types. You've got the validation rules, defining metrics, using the time series models that you, you spoke about, and then the unsupervised machine learning approach which you do a lot of at Anomalo within your solutions. Um, can you speak a little bit more to why does data quality monitoring precipitate needing machine learning? And, and how are you using machine learning to do this? And connected to this a bit, it sounds like that what you're proposing is not that one or the other is better, but that you should actually use a combination of the three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you know, why does why does why do you need machine learning for data quality monitoring is I think an important you know question, and the the reason is that you know data is not a static concept, right? Data is not something that you can perfectly control. Uh, it's not like you know code as an example. Code is something that you you have control over. You can make changes or not make changes to code, and so an organization has direct control over the code that they run. Data is a reflection of what's happening in the world, right? And how the world is interacting with your product. And it has all of these direct connections to how third parties are interacting with your product um, and really complex interactions in all of your systems. And so 
data is just constantly changing. And that, that constant change actually makes it difficult to spot when there are real issues, right? When, when there's a, a change that's a real regression that leads to a data quality issue, uh, it can be very difficult to spot that in something that's constantly changing. And so the real benefit of machine learning is to be able to separate out you know, the signal from the noise. What are the changes in the data that are truly unexpected given the history of the context of that data? And you know, are data quality issues, some sudden sudden change that's seriously affected the data, seriously increased null values or changed the distribution of the data. What are those kind of signal changes that are meaningful uh, versus what is just normal background noise and change happening in the data? And so you know, that's why machine learning is so important because you need to be able to control for this kind of noise and, and, and constant movement and drift of data. And the reason to combine it with the other approaches is that, you know, this, this unsupervised learning to, to track anomalies, this, this sounds like it's, it's uh, this perfect solution, but there's, there's no, no free lunch, right? Nothing, nothing is going to be able to, to solve all of your problems. It would be unrealistic to expect that. So what are the challenges with this approach? Well, one is it's, it's looking at every you know, row and every column as being equally important. It doesn't have a value judgment around what data matters the most to the user. And so what we find with, with metrics in comparison, when you specify a metric, you're saying the specific columns and the specific rows that are computed in that metric, those matter the most to me. I care the most about the click-through rate. And that's you know the ratio of these two columns and really is driven mostly by the clicks. Or I care the most about you know, my profitability or the time it takes for a user to complete this event. And so when you declare a metric, you're saying, here's the thing I want to pay really close attention to. Versus the unsupervised learning, it's going to look at all of the data flowing into the table. It's going to be you know, focused on, on all of it. So it's, it's not going to be as narrowly focused as the metrics. And then the validation rules, I think the big difference there is the users bringing their expectations about the data. So they're bringing some external knowledge about the data that a machine learning algorithm isn't going to be able to understand. So a classic example would be, well, maybe a column that has null values in it should never have had null values in it. There should be none. A machine learning algorithm can't look at the data and discern that. It really requires a human to say that this should never have happened in the first place. The machine learning algorithm can tell you if all of a sudden the null values have doubled, right? Uh, but it can't tell you they should never have been there to begin with. Okay, and you've you've already been speaking a lot to the the strengths, the weaknesses between the different approaches. But could you summarize for us and also add in anything that we might not have covered up until now, but to really understand what are the strengths and the weaknesses that you found at Anomalo when you're implementing this unsupervised machine learning approach, and especially in your case, combining it across the, the three methodologies like we've been speaking about. But what, are, what would you say are the core strengths and the core weaknesses and why we would need to or why we should go this approach probably? Yeah. So on the strength side, scalability is the, the, you know, one of the biggest strengths that with unsupervised learning, you can do data quality monitoring for you know, hundreds or thousands of tables without a Herculean effort uh, from humans to set up and configure tons of rules and then to maintain those rules as the business and the data changes. So scalability is absolutely critical. The second huge strength of the unsupervised learning 
is that it's able to find unknown unknowns. When I was at Instacart, we had a system that made it easy to write rules about data, and there were thousands of those rules in production when I left. But we still had data quality issues all of the time, and they were always something new, something we hadn't thought to write a rule for. And so we would put a rule into place after we got bit by any data quality issue, but that wouldn't catch the next one, the new unknown unknowns. And so this unsupervised learning can find things you wouldn't have thought to write a rule for or to track a metric on. So I think those are the two strengths, scalability and unknown unknowns. Now, the weaknesses are, you know, first, it's not as focused as a metrics-based you know, approach. So you know, when you do unsupervised monitoring, it's going to treat all of the data as being equally important. And if you really only care about a tiny slice of the data, and that's what you want to pay really close attention to, you should define a metric for that. And then the other is that it's, it can really only look for regressions in the data. It can look for sudden adverse changes. It can't tell you if the data was bad to begin with. That's where you have to have a human with some subject matter expertise about the data come in and express you know, what is the constraint they would expect the data to have using their own first principles knowledge as a rule. Okay, I love how you how you summarize the strengths, the scalability, but especially the finding the unknown unknowns. Uh, that's definitely a, a huge strength when it comes to the machine learning approach. Now, up until now, I think this has been an, an excellent overview of data quality monitoring, but I'm still left wondering, what does all of this look like in reality? Can you give us an example of how your solution at Anomalo or your solutions have helped a company with their data quality monitoring and the impact it has had? Absolutely, Christina. So uh, there's actually a great recent uh, example uh, that I can that I can point to. So uh, you know, we work with a variety of financial services institutions, and recently in the Wall Street Journal on on August fourth, so just a few weeks ago, there was an article where uh, Equifax was um, uh, sending inaccurate credit scores about millions of people for weeks from, from March 17th to April 6th. So literally took like three weeks or four weeks of time where they were sending you know, completely bogus credit scores to financial services institutions. And, and those institutions were using those credit scores to make all sorts of decisions about their customers. And so that's a really you know, painful and surprisingly common example of a data quality issue where you're dependent upon a third party and that third party is providing some really critical data into processes um, or into your, your systems that are making decisions or you're affecting your customers. And all of a sudden that third party makes a change and it breaks the data. And now your business suffers from that. And so, what I think is interesting is kind of compare and contrast with and without data quality monitoring, what happens in a situation like this? So if an organization doesn't have data quality monitoring in place, then you know, that data is gonna be continuously loaded into their data warehouse. Say it's, you know, it's Snowflake as an example. So you know, every hour that data is arriving into Snowflake or every day that, that data is arriving. And the organization just keeps making credit decisions, you know, underwriting decisions normally. And then weeks later, right, it could be, um, you know, three or four weeks later, someone at, at maybe a director level or an executive level, they'll be looking at a dashboard 
and they'll see some strange change in that dashboard. And so maybe in this case, um, they might notice that credit limit increases had spiked 5%. You know, and that would be a cause for an alarm. It's a pretty unusual change for all of a sudden there to be 5% more credit limit increases approved than usual. And that will start a giant fire drill. And you might end up with, you know, a dozen different subject matter experts and, you know, analysts boiling the ocean to figure out why did that happen? Did we take a change in our policy? You know, did uh, some system have some regression? Is this just a natural economic change? And eventually they'll, they'll realize, no, actually it was a data quality issue. They'll get down to some root source. And, you know, maybe in this case, a credit provider like Equifax, the distribution of the credit score suddenly changed. Um, and that went entirely unnoticed and caused all of you know, these issues. And so the organization can end up with you know, millions of dollars of expenses associated with bad credit limit increase decisions made using bad data that now they have to either charge off and take losses for, or they've got to do a bunch of work to resolve them with the customers and disappoint their customers. And they'll spend you know, millions of dollars themselves investigating the issue, right? Trying to figure out what happened because they don't find out about it for weeks or months, and they find out about it in a metric that's really far removed from the actual data quality issue. So that's the status quo. That's what a lot of companies feel and experience today. And if you contrast that with when you have data quality monitoring, you, know, you would have you know, that data again being loaded into Snowflake and at, at 6 a.m. on the first day that there was a distribution change, this unsupervised learning would detect that distribution shift. And it would send a notification into Microsoft Teams you know, for the, the right team, the right group in Microsoft Teams that, that owns that data set and the implications of that data set, letting them know that there was this really material distribution change. And you would have an analyst, they would review that, they would see visualizations, they would see the root cause that this was from Equifax, and it was you know, in this specific segment of the business, and they could immediately flag that issue and alert the underwriting team that's using that data to make credit limit increase decisions and you know, that underwriting team could change their pattern of behavior while someone investigates what was the root cause, you know, find, a, find a fix for it, find a workaround for it. That can all happen in a day, you know, maybe two days, if you've got a good data quality monitoring system. And that's going to save you, you know, millions of dollars in the risk of the data quality issue or the, you know, the impact to customers and millions of dollars in time to resolve it because you find it right at the right moment at the right level of granularity and you can you know, quickly take action and not end up with you know, tons of bad data polluting your systems. Super clear. Thanks for, for sharing, Jeremy. And I think it's very relatable and it helps put into perspective just how important data quality can be. And I imagine a solution like, like this with Anomalo is incredibly useful regardless of industry or sector. We're all dealing with issues like this. And we all need to meet at least certain standards of data quality in our organizations if we're going to rely on our data as much as we as we do nowadays. Um, but thank you again for your for your time, Jeremy, and all of your great insights today. It's been a fascinating conversation, to say the least. Of course, Christine, Christina, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation today, and I think it's going to benefit our listeners quite a lot. Um, and thank you to our listeners. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Remember that if you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head on over to anomalo.com. It's spelled A-N-O-M-A-L-O. 
We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com. Thank you.